Welcome everyone to Dr. John Bedker's Leadership Podcast, the podcast focused on leadership. The episode will begin shortly. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Dr. John Bedker Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, John Bedker. Well, today we're going to talk about global leadership in America's role, and I will argue responsibility, in global leadership. Let me set the context here just to begin with. I'm going to use a uh, highly successful radio talk show host. He's uh, the co-host of the nationally syndicated hip-hop iHeart radio program known as The Breakfast Club. Again, highly successful uh, radio show on iHeart. His uh, real name, Leonard Larry McKelvey. And he's known as Charlemagne the God. So that's his stage name. And I'll just use the name Charlemagne as I go through here and set this context for us in global leadership. Charlemagne was recently interviewed by Jonathan Carl of ABC News. In the interview, Charlemagne said, there are presently three types of people in the United States. The cowards, the crooks, and the couchers. Wow, there you go, setting the context. He says the Democrats are the cowards. Don't want to speak up. Don't want to speak out. Reluctant to defend, oftentimes, a worthy position. They're cowards. The Republicans, Charlemagne describes as the crooks. They are the kings of misinformation, disinformation, and lying. Whether it be from Fox or whatever right-wing media they listen to, they hear these stories of misinformation, disinformation, and lying over and over and over and over again. So much so that they believe them to be factual. They believe them to be the truth when they are not. There is just a ton of evidence of court cases of recounts, of audits, to show that the free and fair election was just that, free and fair. Similarly, in numerous other instances, the right has a point of view which is not factual, but yet they hang on to it dearly, and they believe it to be the truth. The Republicans are the crooks. And then there's this third group that Charlemagne describes, a large group, and that group is the independents. He calls them the couchers. These are the people that are born in apathy. I don't care. I don't want to get involved. Oh, politics? I don't know anything about that. No, I, I, don't, I don't have an opinion. I don't care. 
these independents, these couchers, at some point are going to have to make a choice. They're going to have to get off the couch. Well, what about these cowards, crooks, and couchers that Charlemagne describes? Well, leaders cannot be any of these. Leaders must lead. What happens in our macro world, our global world, affects each of us in our individual worlds. Talking about a threat to democracy is not enough. Leaders must do more. Leaders are meant to be problem solvers. Leaders need to act. As Charlemagne says in this interview with Jonathan Carl, that we are all confronted with this most consequential vote of our lifetimes. And he complete, completes this interview with a truism, I think. Two old men, each flawed. Charlemagne says, one may send you to the hospital for a few days. All right, not good, right? Not a good choice. But the other may kill you and kill life as you know it. For leaders, the choice is simple. Not pure, not flawless, not many, many things, but the choice is, in fact, binary. Biden or Trump. Those are the two choices. The implications, what you do, will answer the question about leadership. Not only nationally, but globally in our world. It will answer the question, do we want autocracy or do we vote to continue this grand experiment in democracy? All right, there's the context and the backdrop. Uh, a few comments from Charlemagne the God, his interview with Jonathan Carl. I'm now going to read some snippets from some thought leaders and from elected officials about this topic of global leadership, where it stands presently, and what we were challenged to decide. First, I'm going to read a very short piece from John Herbst. He's the senior director of the Atlantic Council, Eurasia Center. He served 31 years as a Foreign Service Officer in the United States Department of State, retired at the rank of Career Minister. He was the U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine in 2003 to 2006. Here's John Herb's recent comments on February 8, 2024. Are we at the end of an 80-year period of U.S. global leadership? The United States emerged as a global leader, no, the key global leader, global actor, when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt overcame a long tradition 
of U.S. isolationism by moving forward with the Lend-Lease program that provided essential aid to keep the United Kingdom in the war against Nazi Germany. After World War II, the United States solidified that leadership by playing the decisive role in the creation of interlocking international institutions, such as NATO, the United Nations, the World Bank, and the International Monetary Fund that provided the basis for an unparalleled period of global and U.S. peace and prosperity. But big changes sometimes come in small bites. As Americans have been reminded with the failure of a Senate procedural vote on a long-negotiated package deal combining aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan with a program to fix the crisis at the U.S. border with Mexico. Bundling all these difficult issues was not necessarily a good idea. It was the consequence of a refusal of a small number of Republicans in the House of Representatives to approve aid to Ukraine so long as there was no plan to fix the border. While this was a ploy by that small group to blockade uh, to Ukraine, other representatives and senators in both parties were willing to see if the package might ensure the aid that Ukraine needs to defeat Kremlin aggression. With the failure of Wednesday's vote, Congress has now spent four months failing to provide Ukraine the assistance that it needs to prevent a Russian victory. If the United States does not act in the next few months, catastrophe will follow. This decades-long period of U.S. leadership was possible because of a bipartisan approach based on a sober understanding of the international scene and U.S. interests. That is partly absent now. Due to 20 years of foreign policy failure in the greater Middle East, foreign policy elites no longer enjoy credibility with a significant portion of the American public, largely on the right. Among this cohort, there has also been a renewal of the old isolationist strain that somehow the United States is better off fending for itself rather than working closely with allies and partners to secure its interests. For this group, NATO, if it ever served a purpose, is no longer needed. Some in this crowd see no major threat to U.S. interests on the global horizon. Others see only China in that capacity. None in this group understand that Russia, the United States' only peer nuclear adversary, is seeking to undercut U.S. security and prosperity by weakening NATO and the European Union, undermining U.S. allies in Europe and elsewhere and directly sowing confusion in the United States via election interference and cyber operations. And those who properly see China as the United States' most dangerous long-term adversary 
fail to understand that stopping overt Russian aggression now is the best way to deter China's aggression in the future. Okay, I'll stop there in this article, but it's really, really well stated, well thought out by a person who really understands not only the region, but understands the role that America can and should play in global leadership. Okay, one, one more thought leader, and I think this is, again, another, another uh, view, another axis of investigation, but an important one. Um, but it, again, another thought leader, also recently, February 8th. Um, it's a piece by Fiona Hill. Uh, she says, Russia will always matter. All right, some of her comments. Fiona Hill's warning uh, the U.S. against losing focus on Ukraine. Putin amid the Israeli-Hamas war. Here are her comments. As the two-year-old war in Ukraine continues with no end in sight, Russian President Vladimir Putin is feeling the heat with his country's economy under strain and estimated hundreds of thousands of Russian soldiers dead or injured. The war has damaged Putin, says the former White House Russia expert Fiona Hill. Fiona Hill uh, was a senior fellow, or should say is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institute Center on the United States and Europe, and she offered this assessment uh, in, in uh, a, an interview with the Harvard Gazette. A few more of her comments quickly here. Putin remains committed to winning the war launched in February of 2022 because it could bolster his chances to stay in power. Putin, who became Russia's president in the year 2000, passed a law in 2021 that would allow him to remain in power until 2036. The end game for Putin is Ukraine's capitulation. Hill noted that the Israeli-Hamas war has shifted some of the world's attention from Ukraine. But she makes this point. Russia will always matter, says Fiona Hill. It's not just about the battlefields or the way we think about nuclear weapons. It's the inescapable fact that we have this large country, the largest country on earth in terms of landmass, and because of its strategic location, the size of its landmass, its environmental impact, we're not going to be able to avoid dealing with Russia. For example, Russia has the world's largest forest area and must be included in any conversation about climate change, says Hill. Russia has to be part of the solution, not just part of the problem. Okay, so what do we learn? Lots of variables, complex variables, systems that require understanding, awareness, and oversight. You can't exclude a person from a discussion that they must be a part of. Okay, so what happens here in the United States? What are we doing? What are our leaders doing? Are we solving problems? 
that's really the ultimate goal of an elected official, is to represent the interests, the best interests of the people you are elected to serve. Well, here we go. I'm going to read a, a letter. It's dated the 6th of February, 2024. Uh, I actually received this from my congressman, the 1st Congressional District of Virginia. And here we go. We talked about the right, what Charlemagne calls the crooks, the Republicans. And here, in bold print, highlighted at the beginning of the letter from my congressman, friend, it is clear the crisis at the border is man-made, self-inflicted, and avoidable. It is caused by the Biden administration's failure at every level. Wow. The crooks. And here's a good example of what Charlemagne was referring to. Because I think we all know, basic civics, it is the legislative branch that makes the laws, that passes the laws, and the congressman is part of that branch. Did he bring a bill? Did he bring a law? No. What did he do? He wrote a letter to his constituents to say, it's the executive branch's fault, President Biden's fault. He didn't solve the problem. He didn't correct this terrible situation. Then he goes on to say he does not like omnibus bills. Well, here's what happened. Congress failed to act. They did not lead. Senators in both parties finalized a deal that would create stricter border and immigration policies. And so far, the House and led by the Republican Party, has chosen not to put the bill on the floor. It's a $118 billion agreement negotiated for months. It would tighten the standards for migrants to receive asylum. It would automatically shut down the southern border to illegal crossings if it hit a certain daily benchmark. And it would send billions of dollars to Ukraine, to Israel, and Taiwan, as well as the border. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. Again, like Charlemagne says, it's not going to be perfect, right? Flawed, imperfect, for sure. But is it going to move the ball forward? Is it going to make things a little bit better? Well, what, what are some of those particular things that those of us all say in where I live, the 1st Congressional District of Virginia, but people across the country? The legislation includes a fend-off fentanyl act. Do we want less fentanyl? Well, I'm saying absolutely we do. An Afghan Adjustment Act. Yeah. It would send $62 billion to support Ukraine in its invasion by Russia. 
$14 billion in security for Israel. Invaded by Hamas. $10 billion in humanitarian assistance to Gaza. They are suffering dearly. And $20 billion for the border. Nearly $5 billion to partners in the Indo-Pacific to fight Chinese aggression. Well, this is what the legislation determined by the Senate did. What did President Biden say? Was he an obstructionist? Was he solely to blame for there nothing happening on the border? Let me just read that again. Self-inflicted and avoidable, caused by the Biden administration's failure at every level. Well, let me quote from President Biden. President said the agreement released includes some of the, quote, toughest and fairest set of border reforms in decades and ones that he, quote, strongly supports. Biden asked Congress to pass the deal quickly. They have yet to even put it on the floor. President Biden is further quoted, I've made my decision. I'm ready to solve the problem. I'm ready to secure the border. And so are the American people. Now, it was the Republicans in the House that said, we're not going to help Ukraine, Israel, the Indo-Pacific, without addressing this border crisis. And then when it does get addressed, they say, oh, oops, leadership? No, 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 no. We're in the followership program. If Donald Trump says no, we're no. Because it makes us look good to say that Biden didn't do anything. But in fact, we have legislation in front of us. Okay. So, what we have in the United States is a failure of leadership by the United States Congress. In particular, as Charlemagne says, the crooks, the Republicans, failing to act, failing to bring a bill that would help Americans and help those suffering around the world. Well, most recently, February 16th, the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, spoke at the Munich Security Conference. And I wanted to close by giving you some of those comments that she shared in Munich. Talking certainly about giving her thoughts and prayers with the family as a result of the passing of Alexei Navalny. Quite, quite warm and thoughtful comments. Then she begins to speak about the topic of global leadership. This year, we gather amid an increased instability and conflict in the Middle East. We gather amid Russia's ongoing aggression in Ukraine, China's efforts to reshape the international order, transformative technological change, and of course, the existential threat of climate crisis. In this context, I know there are questions here in Europe and around the world about the future 
of America's role in global leadership? These are questions the American people must also ask ourselves, whether it is in America's interest to continue to engage with the world or to turn inward, whether it is in our interest to defend longstanding rules and norms that have provided for unprecedented peace and prosperity or allow them to be trampled, whether it is in America's interest to fight for democracy or to accept the rise of dictators, and whether it is in America's interest to continue to work in lockstep with our allies and partners or go it alone. Today I will explain how President Biden and I answer these questions with full knowledge that how America responds will affect the American people, the people of Europe, and people around the world. I believe it is in the fundamental interest of the American people for the United States to fulfill our long-standing role of global leadership. As President Biden and I have made clear over the past three years, we are committed to pursuing global engagement, to uphold international rules and norms, to defend democratic values at home and abroad, and to work with our allies and partners in pursuit of shared goals. However, there are some in the United States who disagree. Those are the people we've been talking about, folks. These are the people on the right, the Republicans. Not them all. Some incredibly well-minded and, and thoughtful about the needs and interests of America as well as the global community. But this large and loud contention suggests, back to quoting Vice President Harris, they suggest it is in the best interest of the American people to isolate ourselves from the world, to flout common understandings among nations, to embrace dictators and adopt their repressive tactics and abandon commitments to our allies in favor of unilateral action. Let me be clear, that worldview is dangerous, destabilizing, and indeed short-sighted. That view would weaken America and would undermine global stability and undermine global prosperity. President Biden and I therefore reject that view. Okay, so we heard from a hip-hop TV person. We heard his view, his perspective on where we are in the United States. We've heard from thought leaders like Ambassador Herbst, Fiona Hill, people who really know this business inside and out and their views of the need, even the necessity to engage. And then we've heard Congress's action, those people that are our elected leaders and how they have chosen in the Senate to act, how the president has said, bring me that bill, pass that legislation, I will sign it. And then you hear, as I read from a letter from my local U.S. congressperson, but representative of many, many Republicans across the country, that their intention is to do nothing, 
that it's someone else's fault. It's solely someone else's fault. And folks, that is a failure of leadership. Plain and simple. This topic of global leadership was hugely important. I hope you all got something. Uh, I encourage you to go to these sources, to to read uh, what was said. Um, The Atlantic Council does such fine work. Fiona Hill, you know, she's written a bestseller now. It's uh, on the New York Times bestseller list. It's titled, There is Nothing for You Here, Fiona Hill. Uh, we've, We've heard from some really wonderful people And so I'll stop now and say thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. I sincerely appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Thank you for tuning in to Dr. John Bedker's Leadership Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please tell your friends and, of course, please follow our podcast and subscribe. Thank you again for tuning in.